Well, good morning. What a beautiful weekend and last few days we've shared, and I heard it's still a few more days before winter returns. So hopefully you've been able to enjoy some sunshine over these last days. As we've begun this year, I've decided, I've chosen to start with this idea of our brokenness. Uh, as you're aware, in some of my writings I've done recently and, and thoughts, I've been captivated by uh, the story of Louis Zamperini. Uh, his movie, Unbroken, has recently come out, and many of you have seen that, and, and uh, many of you have read the book, Unbroken, and been stirred by his story. Those that are familiar with the story or have seen the movie know that, uh, that the story that's told or re- recaptured in the movie is just a portion of his story. But it's a powerful and emotional story of a young man who uh, was captured in, the, uh, in World War II after a long and harrowing 47 days on the ocean after his uh, airplane crashed into the ocean uh, during World War II. Uh, the horrific story of the abuse and the beatings that that he took and that he uh, experienced during his captivity in Japan during World War II. The story or the title reflects this idea of, of being unbroken. And in the context of the movie, it's the idea that this USPOW did not fall, he did not break under the, the harsh captivity and, and rule and torture of a particular Japanese commander. But the reality is, as Zamperini came home after the war, as he, as he uh, survived that ordeal, the reality of his life was that he was a very broken man. That on the outside, even though he'd been able to stand strong and to stand firm under the, the, the torture of this Japanese prison officer, the reality was is that his life was shattered and broken. He returned home to Mary, but after a few years, the nightmares, the violent thoughts of revenge and of murder began to drive him and spiral him downward and downward, further and further. He sought alcohol as a way to numb and deaden the pain of his life. His violent outbreaks began to become more and more frequent through his nightmares, waking up one morning only to discover that instead of choking this Japanese prison offer, he was choking his wife. His life came even further downward and spiraled downward when his wife came home one day and said that uh, she could no longer stay married to him, that she would pursue divorce. Yet in those next days, his wife went to a Billy Graham crusade and through that experience, through hearing the good news of Christ, gave her life to the Lord and over the next days convinced her husband to go. And if you're familiar with Zamperini's story, you understand or you'll know that as he went to that crusade, he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said he knew it, he'd heard it in his his mind, he was aware of the story. But he never received it. He never experienced it in his heart. He never fully understood what it meant to to give his life completely and totally to Christ and to receive this awesome gift of grace and forgiveness. And it was through that experience that Zamperini's life began to be transformed. The pieces began to be put back together so that indeed 
he became an unbroken man as he found new life in Christ. And as a result of what God was doing in his life, he sought and chose to live a life of grace and of forgiveness. Even to the point of returning to Japan to find his captors and to seek and give forgiveness to them. Seeing many of them come to know and receive Christ as Lord in their lives as well. As I've thought and reflected over this story of Louis Zamperini, there's a question that continues to follow up. It's a, it's a difficult question. It's a, a question that I think we all answer, but the truth is, is that we answer it sometimes unconsciously. And, and the question is, how should we, how do we, or what is the best way to live life on this planet? You see, we're all broken. We're all hurting. We've all been victimized. We've all been abused at some level. We have all been sinned against just as we have all sinned against others. We are a broken people. The world is broken. So what's the best way to live life on this planet, in this world of brokenness. The Apostle Paul affirms what we're talking about here, I think in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 when he says that we are afflicted in every way. But again, talking to those like Louis Zamperini who found the, the grace and love and forgiveness of a Christ, he goes on, he says, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And as we experience, as we live life in this broken world, as we we find Christ and we experience what it means to be a new creation, a new creature, how should we, how do we live life? It's an important question. It may be one of the most important questions that we face in the 21st century. How shall we live? Shall we live as broken people? Shall we live as victims? Shall we live as people who are oppressed? Should we embrace the life of revenge? Should we embrace the life of getting even with those who've sinned against us? And embrace a life of bitterness, of anger, of hatred, of unforgiveness. Understanding that it, as in the story of, of Zamperini who, who appeared on the outside to have survived and to have been an unbroken strong man. Only to realize and discover that his life was escalating and spiraling downward towards death. Is that the life that we should pursue and live in this broken world? Or is there something greater? Is, is there indeed a life of grace, of forgiveness, of healing that moves towards unbrokenness? I recently finished the story, the biography of Martin Gray, a book called the, For Those I Love. Many of you may be familiar with his story. A Jewish teenager who lived in Warsaw, Poland during the the, the time of the, the Nazi rise to power and the conquest of, of Poland. And the story that he tells is a fascinating story 
of how he managed to survive in the ghetto of Warsaw as a Jewish teenage boy growing into adulthood, telling stories of how he escaped from the Treblinka prison. It was one of the extermination camps. How he was able to to run and to hide and to to join up with, with partisan troops and ultimately with the Russian Red Army finding his way to Berlin by the end of the war. And he said one of the things that he observed and noticed, what he called butchers. He said so many of these these soldiers became butchers as they would carry out their orders to destroy and to kill the Jewish people. But he said occasionally, every once in a while, he would come across a real man. A man who would would go beyond what their orders were and would do what was right and what was just. And he credited his own survival to those moments in which he would engage and come across a real man. And he noticed that as the war began to turn, and those who were the butchers became to be on the run, how they became afraid and fearful And as he began to watch those who had been oppressed and those who had been victimized, those whose families had been slaughtered, he began to notice that many of them, as they came into power, became butchers as well and sought revenge. And as he was able to step back away, he began to think to himself, there's got to be more in this world than simply struggling to see who has the power, who has the control, who can kill who. And why would those who are oppressed and those who are victimized, why would they, when the tables turn, why would they reach out and act in the same way? You see, the question before us is, how shall we live in a broken world? How shall we live when we have the power and the control? How shall we live when we are the ones who are oppressed? What is the best way to live on this planet? The book of Proverbs in Proverbs 14.12 says this, says there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So what are the dominant, what are the predominant ways that, that we maybe in just in our Western culture, in our American culture, what are the dominant or prominent views of life? What are the ways that we've chosen as a nation, as a, as a culture to live in a broken world? One of the ways, and these are, are very broad brush categories, but you'll, you'll understand, you'll be familiar with some of these terms. One of the ways that we have chosen to live in a broken world is by pursuing materialism. It's the idea or the philosophy of life that says, I'll get mine and you get yours. The one with the most toys at the end of life wins. It's a way of life, a philosophy of life, in, in a lot of ways based upon consumerism. The need for more. We're always looking for what is bigger and better. What is new and improved. Because it appears that whenever we would would own or possess something, that after a while it becomes old and yucky. Right? So we buy into this idea of materialism. And we go into debt beyond which anything that we can afford. 
It's one way of life that many have chosen to pursue in this broken world. Another is what I'd call just the pursuit of pleasure. What you might call or refer to as hedonism. It's the idea that if it feels good, then do it or pursue it. It's the idea or the way of life that says that we're to feel good, we're to have fun, and we're to be comfortable at all costs. The Scriptures simply summarize this way of life by saying it's the eat, drink, and be merry philosophy or way of life. Is that we're to live life in each and every moment. And therefore, each and every moment is to be about pursuing pleasure. As we look around our nation, as we look around our culture, we can't help but understand that our culture and our people and that many of us have bought into this idea of hedonism, of pursuing pleasure at all costs. Pornography is one of the the largest industries in our culture. Our sexuality has been abused and perverted in so many different ways to pursue pleasure. We work not to contribute to life and to be a contributor to society, but we work so that we can play on the weekends. We're a culture in so many different ways that's pursuing this idea of pleasure where there's no self-control. There's no consideration of others or of the consequences of our own pursuit. A third way that we have, have chosen to live and pursue life is this idea of relativism. It's the idea that you decide what's right for you and I'll decide what's right for me. I think it's a way of life that's culminated in, in this postmodern era. Toleration is the greatest norm that we can share with each other. For you see, there can be no absolute truths or moral standards. So therefore, we don't have any way to to measure or to to judge or to decide what ultimately is right or wrong. This is a way of life that leads to what some might call a secularism, free from religion, where science and reason are that which is pursued for truth and for answers in life. One way to summarize all all of these different ideas is simply through the idea of individualism. An individualism that can be a personal individualism, it can be a a family individualism, a a national individualism where our nation is better than your nation, or maybe even on a more macro level, through politics. As we prepare to enter into a new political season, my party is better than your party. And, you know, there's not any Christians in the other party. Because why? Because my group and I am right. An individualistic society in which I am first in everything. A society which is self-serving. Individuals which are merely out for power and control. The themes of the way of this life are... As long as this makes me happy, as long as this brings pleasure, then we'll pursue it. In marriage, it says this, I'll love you as long as you make me happy. 
that when you don't make me happy anymore, then whatever marriage vows or covenant that we've made is out the door. An individualistic society or way of life fosters a way of entitlement. For children, it's what my parents owe me. For employees, it's what the employer owes you. For a spouse, it's what your, your spouse owes you. For citizens, it's what the government owes you. Just because you're you. We've created this society of individualism and entitlement. Many of our commercial slogans reflect it. Gatorade, obey your thirst. Right? Whatever else, make sure you have something to drink like Gatorade. Other ideas and thoughts. Burger King, have it your way. McDonald's, you deserve a break today. This idea of individualism knows nothing of self-sacrifice and of putting others first. So these are some of the, the philosophical ways of life, the worldviews that many pursue in our culture and in our world. Ways that if we're not careful that we embrace and that we would desire to pursue as well. Our lives may reflect some of these. So what is the best way to live life on this planet? I had the opportunity to go to a pastor's conference a couple of months ago, and Dr. Tom Wolfe, many of you may be familiar with him, was, was leading the conference, and he said, this is the most important question of the 21st century. This question of how we're to live life on this planet. And he simply brought out the truths that we're all familiar with. The reality that our world is becoming smaller and smaller. The days of isolationism are gone. We live in a pluralistic world in which the globe and all the cultures of the world influence all the cultures of the world. Transportation and social media have made the world smaller and more interconnected. Global markets and immigration have brought cultures and religions into closer proximity than ever before. The reality is, is that even here in Norman, Oklahoma, what happens on the other side of the world can impact us here. Decisions on oil and gas prices in the Middle East impact workers and families in Oklahoma. I believe Tulsa and Baker Hughes in Tulsa announced 7,000 employees will be let go over these next weeks from their corporation. We are more and more aware of environmental and climate issues and how they relate across the globe. We are more and more aware of natural disasters, of famines, of wars, of human injustices than ever before. So how shall we live? And how shall we respond to these changes in our global community? Do Christians have anything to contribute? Do we have any answers that are relevant or helpful in this global conversation? Is the answer, is part of the answer found in Christian theism? By that, what I mean by Christian theism is 
this belief, theism is a belief in God, and there are certainly other religious groups that, that believe in God, and this idea of theism is that God interacts and, and moves in and out of our, our creation and our world. There are certainly other religious groups that believe that. There are those that are deistic in their belief that God made the world and then He pulled away and He just watches things happen. But we are a theistic people. A monotheistic people, certainly. But we are a theistic people, a Christian theistic people. And what that means is that we believe that God has revealed Himself. He has revealed Himself to us through creation. And that through the Abrahamic covenant and through relating to a particular and unique people, the Hebrew people, God has continued to reveal Himself in ways that allow all people to know God. And then through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that God continued His revealing process, His revelatory acts through His Son Jesus. And that the Scriptures, the Bible, records these revelatory acts and helps us to be aware and understand who God is. Do we believe? Do we believe that we as Christians have anything to offer to this conversation about what is the best way to live in this world? Jesus says this. He says, I am the way the truth, and the life. His early followers were simply called followers of the way. Well, well, what way? Well, maybe the way to live life on this planet. Jesus said this. He said that we're to enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who choose to enter by this wide path, this wide way. I believe the ways that we've talked about just a few minutes ago. But listen to Jesus as He continues. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus reveals to us, the Scriptures reveal to us, a new way to live. A radical way to live. And I can't help but, but ask and reflect on this question. What's the best way to live life in this planet? What's the best way to live life in this broken world? Could it be that the truths that we, we cling to so sincerely offer solutions and answers to the rest of the world? That God has revealed Himself. That God has revealed a way of life through His Son Jesus and through the other revelation that we find through Scripture. And that if we can learn, if we can begin to live this out, that not only will our lives and our families be changed, but that the world itself will be transformed. So what is the best way to live life on this planet. If you take your Scriptures, it'll, the Scripture will be here on the screens in just a moment. But I want us to focus on this passage, Micah 
You see, I think through the prophets and certainly through the, the Scriptures, through the entire Old Testament, I think that this is a summary of how we might live life. Micah shares this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? What is the best way to live life in a broken world? Do justice, love kindness. Walk humbly with your God. It's the life portrayed, summarized here by Micah from the Old Testament. I believe it's the life that is fully revealed through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It is a life birthed from the grace of God. Meaning that we must first die to ourself. We must first die to our own selfishness in our own individualistic pursuits. And by receiving God's gift of forgiveness through faith in Christ, we are called to this life of justice, of love, and of kindness, and of humility. These are to be lived out in our families, in our communities, and yes, in our world. But they are only possible through Him. Now certainly outside of Christ, we can, we can talk and we can discuss and we can pursue these things. But our belief, our contribution is that through Christ, these are revealed in more full ways than ever known before. Over these next few weeks, we will consider each of these aspects of Micah 6.8. And we will explore the possibilities that these are, this is, the best way to live life on this broken planet. To do what is right. To love and be merciful and gracious. And to walk in a sense of humility before God and before others. We simply proclaim that Jesus Christ is the way. And this morning, I ask you the question, how will you live life on this planet? Let's pray.